Crooks. Welcome to the Crooks. My name is Tessa King, and I'm joined today by Casey McIntosh. Today, we'll be telling the story of Mary Vincent, who was violently assaulted and left for dead by an attacker. Before we get started today, I just want to ask all of our listeners if they would go to Apple Podcasts and go ahead and put subscribe in and then also give us a review if you would. We would love it. Thank you so much. Yeah. And one more thing before I start to tell the story, it is a very gruesome story. So a little PSA, if you have a kid and you don't want them hearing violent things, this is not the episode for them. But we will continue with other more age related episodes in the future. Yeah. And if not, we'll give you a warning like this one. Deal. (laughs) (laughs) Seems reasonable to me. Okay. Awesome. Carry on us. Before I tell the story, I just want to get into a little bit of history. This story involves hitchhiking. Do you have any opinions about hitchhiking? Um, I don't think it's a real great idea. How about that? That's a good immediate thought. So I just wanted to get into things. Hitchhiking was really common in the 30s and 40s, starting in the Great Depression and World War II. During the Depression, obviously, there were a lot of people out of work and trying to find opportunity. And during that time, not everyone owned a vehicle. So people hit the road in search of opportunity to work. And during that time, people thought, okay, this person's trying to get over there, and I understand that. I'll give them a ride. So during that time, hitchhiking was really associated with necessity. Yeah, it was just the normal thing to do. Yeah, exactly. It kind of went out of popularity in the 1950s once things recovered in our country after the Depression and World War I and World War II, of course. And so hitchhiking went out then, but it had a big resurgence in the 60s and 70s. There was a whole generation of young people who felt confined by the sense of suburban comfort, and they really wanted to explore and get a more authentic sense of what the world was like. And maybe they didn't have cars. Maybe that too. And a little bit of, like, free love and all that. (laughs) Why don't you think it's popular anymore? Well, I think everyone has their own vehicle, mostly. I mean, I think probably cars are more affordable for the average American. I mean, I'm just guessing. I love that you said that because I looked it up, and those are verbatim two reasons why people don't hitchhike anymore. That's amazing. Yeah, since the 1960s, the percentage of U.S. households that own cars has steadily increased, And over the past couple of decades, cars have lasted longer and they've gotten cheaper. So the trend has extended to lower income families. And actually, a few states have made hitchhiking illegal. Isn't that interesting? Probably with lots of good reasons. Sure. And part of that, I think, has to do with people hitchhiking on the highway, which is understandably unsafe. True. Yeah. Especially if they're doing it during the evening hours when they're not very visible. You know, who's actually out there with like reflector vests on? You know what I mean? Yeah. Here's my flashing flashlight. You know, (laughs) like see me in the dark and pick me up. I don't think so. Totally. Well, and I'm thinking back in the 60s, I'm guessing the roads are way different than they are now. Interstates, highways, but who knows? I wasn't there. Yeah, I would imagine. 
Okay, so getting into the 60s, it started to be recognized as a not-so-healthy exercise for women. So there were a lot of articles at the time about dangers of hitchhiking. On the flip side of that, there were articles written about how it could be glamorous, about meeting people from around the world. You might find the love of your life. I want to actually have a list of people that found the love of their life while hitchhiking. Like, I want to hear that story. Please find <laughs> us on Instagram and let us know. Is this really a thing? I Is mean, it a come thing? On. Tell us the full story. I just have really strong doubts about that. But anyway, go on. Yeah. So by the 70s, it became abundantly clear that hitchhiking was not the best means of transportation. That's partly because of TV movies and news stories featuring what a horror show it could be. And the fad ended. And just as a side note, you know, who do you know who was known for abducting women in the 70s? Mm. What's his name? Well, I mean, um, hint, he had a yellow Volkswagen bug. Yes, I always want to say Jeffrey Dahmer, but that's not it. Ted Bundy. Sorry. I always get those two confused for some reason. They're the same. Male serial killers. Basically terrible people. Yeah. And they were active. Well, Ted was active between 1974 and 1978. So that's the exact time period that we're discussing. I just think it's interesting. He wasn't known for picking up hitchhikers per se, but he was known for abducting women in his vehicle. And I think it's interesting because part of the reason it took so long to apprehend Ted is that states weren't in communication with each other. And also news wasn't quite so widespread. Yeah, there was no social media aside from like, ABC and NBC. That was social media probably at that time. Yeah, exactly. The newspaper. Yeah, so I think that's part of the reason it took so long for people to catch on to the dangers of getting in a stranger's car. I'm just going to jump into our story now, which starts in the year 1978 in Modesto, California. Our story features Mary Vincent, who was 15 at the time. She had run away from home and... She made it to Nevada before coming homesick and wanting to go back to her family. Did you find any reason that she wanted to flee? Was there anything that you came up with? There wasn't anything specific, but I'm thinking it has to do with the website that said most people wanted to explore and get away from their mundane lives. Mm-hmm. It totally fits that narrative. And like I said, hitchhiking was very popular at the time. There were a lot of people out on the road with her, with signs explaining exactly where they wanted to go. Mary had a sign explaining that she was headed south. She was standing on the road with two others who were also waiting to travel the same direction. She's going back home. She's going back home to California. She's in Nevada. A blue van pulls up to them with an older man who's driving. The driver explains that there's only room for one passenger, but it's a little sketchy. Because it's a van. It's a van. Yeah, they're looking. They're like, it's one guy driving, and this is a large, empty van. So that's your first red flag. Okay, before we go any further, I have to tell you one short story about myself. Okay, so I had to go to a storage unit after I was moving out of an apartment in college, and I ran out of gas 
on the way back and it was like raining and I didn't have a cell phone and I was standing out on the highway with my thumb up and this big brown van with an American flag hanging off of the back of it pulled up and I had to think do I get in this van or not like am I going to be murdered in there or did you get in the van I got in the van I'm I'm still here today to tell the story so Maybe a follow-up episode. But, I mean, what do you do? Say, um, I'm going to wait for the next person to pick me up because you're a total creeper. Although, at the same time, you really should trust your gut. That's true. So, if you feel like they could be a murderer, I think it's okay. Just assume. assume Just assume everyone's a murderer. <laughs> okay, sorry. Yeah, Side so, note. large, empty van. The other two hitchhikers urge Mary not to go with them because... It totally is sketchy that this guy is singling out the 15-year-old girl to go alone with him. Red flag. Yeah. Mary at the time said, I wasn't a daredevil or anything. I was just desperate to get home. She deliberately overlooked something that she knew and was outlined as a problem to her. And she said, I was tired of being out on my own. She thought the man looked like a grandfather. This guy was about in his 50s, and she really wasn't concerned about him. So she gets in the car and proceeds to doze off. And when she wakes up, she realizes the signs along the road indicate they're going the opposite direction from where she had indicated she wanted to go. That's I can't believe that she slept in the van. I mean, I'm not trying to pass judgment. I'm just saying... She obviously felt comfortable in that situation. And, you know, she's 15. She's tired of being on the road. Yeah. What do you do when you're 15 and you run away to a different state? What are your means? I just can't imagine being in that position at 15 because there's no way I was hitchhiking across the country at the age of 15 by myself. It's unfathomable. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Anyway, go on. Yeah, she wakes up and she tells him, you're going the wrong way. That's when she really has a gut feeling that something is wrong. He explains that it's a mistake. He's sorry. He pulls over to the side of the road. He says, you know what? I have to go to the bathroom and then we'll get going again. But Mary is already tipped off that something weird is going on. At this time, she's thinking about running away. She gets out of the van with him, realizes her shoe is untied. She's thinking, I'm young and healthy. He's old. I should probably run, but I'm going to tie my shoelace first. As she's bending over to tie her shoe, he hits her from behind with a sledgehammer. Oh my gosh. My heart is beating in my ears right now. Yeah. She blacked out. And this is the horrible part. She woke up tied up in the back of his van He raped her multiple times during the night. During this time, Mary kept asking to be let free. She kept saying, I won't tell anybody or say anything. I just want to go home. And this goes on all night. I watched an episode of I Survived Mm -hmm. with Mary. She just talked about how it seemed unending, and she just kept wanting it to end. And going through this experience and never falling asleep the entire night until the sun comes up. And in the morning, he lets her out of the van, and she's still begging to be set free. So before you get any further, what kind of setting? They were obviously somewhere remote where no one was going to pay attention to the van. 
it was not the freeway. So it was some rural road gotcha. in the middle of nowhere. Okay. So they're at this pullout, and he gets her out of the van. She's still naked, begging to be let free. And he says, you want to be set free? I'll set you free. And he grabs a hatchet from the back of the vehicle. Oh, no. It's bad. He takes a swing at Mary's left arm, and she begins to fall. She said, and then he took another swing. I grabbed his arm, grabbed it real tight, and I couldn't figure out. I'm holding him real tight on his arm, but I'm still falling. I looked down at my arm, and there was nothing, just blood spurting out. Oh, my goodness. Her arm was not attached. It was not attached, and she didn't realize how bad it was until she looks down and sees the blood, and that's when she realizes how much pain she's in. So that's her left arm. He took her right arm, and she begins to kick and scream, desperately trying to get away from him. He begins to chop her right arm off. And after that is over, she's laying there on the ground bleeding. And she can see him out of the corner of her eye flicking at his arm because her arm was still clutching onto him and he was trying to flick it off. Oh, my goodness. Doesn't that give you chills? Totally. Totally. And the thing is, like, how are you going to stop the bleeding? You're like the, the quickness that you could bleed out with those kind of injuries probably seconds. Absolutely. And I think the shock of it all. At this point, he begins to drag her, thinking she's dead, and throws her off a 30-foot cliff. What? Yeah, so not only is she bleeding out with both of her arms cut off, she falls and breaks four of her ribs. She's in shock from blood loss, and she's laying there, bleeding to death. Oh my gosh, that is the cruelest, cruelest thing. Oh, it's horrible. I can't even imagine. I can't believe that she lived through all of that. And she's laying there, and she says in this episode, she felt like she couldn't die because she was afraid that this man would do something else. And she said, I couldn't have him do that to another girl. So in this moment, as she's dying, she's not even thinking about herself. She's just thinking about this guy out there doing that to other people. That was her. That was the crux. That was the crux. This is like... Beck Weathers almost dying thinking of his family, and that's what pulls him through. So what kind of surface does she land on when she falls off this 30-foot cliff? Like, what kind of surroundings are there? Do you know? I don't know much about it, but it was very dirty. She was very resourceful with her surroundings because she was thinking, if I can pack dirt onto my wounds, it'll act like a mud, and Mm -hmm. I'll stop bleeding. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about that. Which is amazing because at 15, I don't think I would be that resourceful. And she's been up all night long. She's been up all night long, broken ribs, bleeding out. And she manages to crawl back up the cliff without hands. So there's no other way to get up? What do you mean? Like, how do you climb up a cliff without arms? Well, so if you watch this video of her, you'll see that she had her arms cut off about the forearm down. Okay. So elbow up, she still has part of her limbs. So Mm -hmm. I think it's quite possible that she was able to crawl with a lot of determination. Mm -hmm. And she did it. 
remember, she is still naked. Oh my goodness. And she's in the middle of nowhere. Exactly. It was night by the time she reached the road. So in the morning, she had her arms cut off. And by the evening, she was back onto the road. Wow. Remember, it's still a rural road. So she's not on a main road where people have been driving by all night. And she probably doesn't even have shoes on. Yeah, there's no one there. In this episode, she said it was very, very dark and I could barely see. She could hear traffic somewhere, though. And she had a feeling that she was close to the freeway and she tries to follow the noise. She gets to where the noise is coming from. And the first car she sees is a red convertible with two men inside the vehicle. She goes toward it and says, help me, help me. She's naked, covered in blood, with no hands. And the car takes off. Oh my gosh. They leave her. And yeah, like you said before, it's not like there's a bunch of traffic on this road. Mm -hmm. Well, and she had made it to more of a main road just by following the sounds. Yeah, okay. This episode said that she had walked three miles. So she put in a lot of effort. And she said herself that she understands where these people were coming from because she looked like she came out of a horror movie. Yeah. And they're in the middle of nowhere, kind of like we've been talking about. So understandably, these people are spooked. I don't know what I would do. I'd like to think that I would stop to help someone like you know, this. I think that if you're a man in this situation, you might think, what if she dies in the car? And then someone thinks that it was my responsibility, especially at that time, forensics, like forensic evidence wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. I mean... That's all I can think about. I just, I can't imagine not helping someone in that state. Yeah, that's an interesting take. And as a side note, I did read somewhere that part of the reason they think this man, which I haven't mentioned his name yet, it's Lawrence Singleton, but I wanted this to be more about Mary. Yeah, understandable. So they said that Lawrence probably cut off her arms to stall efforts to identify the body because if she doesn't have arms, she doesn't have fingerprints. So just as a side note, I thought that was interesting. It didn't say anywhere what happened to her arm. So I don't know if he threw him off the cliff too or... She had walked three miles and another car comes by, thankfully. This time it's a honeymooning couple who had gotten lost. They help her stand up. They have to drive her to a phone because remember it's the 70s, so... No cell phones. No cell phones. They have to drive her to a payphone so they can get a hold of someone. What state are they in at this point? Do you even know? I don't know. That's a good question. And I wonder how close they were to like medical attention. They're probably still in Nevada. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, so she was airlifted out. She said that she lost over half of the blood in her body. And also said, my body took it because I was that desperate to live. That is impressive. Yeah. She had mentioned something about blood poisoning with the other 50%, but think about how long she had been out in the elements. That's crazy. And like you said, she could have bled out in minutes. Oh, yeah. So um, post this incident, like what has she gone on to do? Because this was in the late 70s. Yeah. We'll get to that because I think that's important. But I want to go into what happened to her attacker. She was able to give a detailed description of him, and they were able to do a composite sketch. They were able to catch him within 10 days of that. So, And I think I saw somewhere that 
his neighbor recognized the composite sketch. That's impressive for two reasons. First of all, from what I understand about those composite sketches is they're, they're not very accurate. Basically, when you're doing, when someone's doing a composite sketch, you have a list of like eyes to look through and you say, oh, those are the eyes. That's what the eyes look like. And then you look through the noses and you pick a nose. And so to get really an accurate description of someone and get a really good sketch is not apparently that easy to do. So the fact that you can do it and someone can recognize this image as their neighbor, I think is really impressive. Like the fact that they found this person at all seems miraculous to me. It's amazing. You're right too, because she went through so much and was in shock and went to the hospital. Imagine trying to give an accurate description. So he was, he was arrested 10 days later course he goes to court she has to testify against him so she's on the stand she has to see her attacker again that'd be horrible oh absolutely and she's in prosthetics you know has to look down her attempted murderer (laughs) and as she's walking by out of the courtroom he says if it's the last thing I do I will finish the job oh my gosh creeper he's the worst and it's not great because he was a charged he was charged with rape and attempted murder and was sentenced to 14 years in prison that's it that's it that was the maximum term allowed by california law at the time oh my gosh that's not the worst because he got good behavior and he only served 8 years you're kidding me and he probably did it before it's not like this is a first time Right, this guy's in his 50s. What are the chances that he just snapped? That's crazy. So do you know what happened to him? Is he still alive? Please tell me he's not alive. Well, there's a really great part. is As he's paroled, people in California are pissed off. And they're basically rioting over it. They refuse to accept him in the community. And authorities kept having to move him around the state of California. They had to put him in a mobile home eventually at San Quentin State Prison until his parole was finally up in 1988. Time Magazine said, as authorities attempted to settle him in one Bay Area town after another, angry crowds in Tampa's chapter of the Guardian Angels-led protests screamed, picketed, and eventually prevailed. That's awesome that they all pulled together. Yeah. I love it. So parole until 88, and then what? Well, they didn't want him in California, so he moved to Tampa. And he was originally from Florida, but residents in Tampa protested too. Somebody offered him $5,000 to leave the state, and a homemade bomb was detonated near his house. He didn't die then. So he's back in Florida, where he's been out of jail. And in 1997... He stabbed and killed a 31-year-old sex worker and mother of three, Roxanne Hayes, to death in his living room. Oh, my gosh. It's like you said. Is it really realistic that he just tried to attempt one murder in his 50s? I just don't think that the people commit those kind of murders one time. Especially when it's so violent like that. And it's someone you don't even know. Yeah. In this case, it's got to be two because she's a sex worker. Yep. 
and police found him standing over a body splattered in blood. At this time, Mary Vincent travels from California to Tampa to appear during this trial as well. She gave testimony to describe what she had been through and the toll it had taken on her life. So during this trial, he was sentenced to death. At this time, he said, I'm sorry about the death in this case. I'll have to carry it on my conscience for the rest of my life. Can you imagine what it would be like to have lived, you know, as Mary through that situation of escaping this guy and then he gets out of jail or prison, I should say. And, and he said to you, the last words he said to you are, I'm going to finish finish the the job. job. Can you, it's like having cancer and waiting for it to come back after you're treated for it. Always looking over your shoulder. Mm -hmm. Well, and then to go face him again Mm -hmm. and then hear him say that he's sorry about it. He didn't say anything about, I I guess if someone dies, then you can be sorry about it. And so he was probably in his 70s at this point because he was in his 50s in the late 70s. And you said this is in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's crazy. So during the murder trial, I just thought this was interesting to touch base on. The lawyer from the state said, Lawrence Singleton looks like an old man who could be an uncle, a grandfather, a neighbor, the person you sit next to at a baseball game. But what you see is not always what you get. On February 19, 1997, he was a murderer. Very plain, very simple. But I thought it was important to touch base on that because that's exactly what Mary Vincent was thinking when she got in his van. So bottom line is don't trust anybody. Yeah. Trust no one. Yeah, and if there's a red flag, look for it. Trust your gut. Unfortunately, Lawrence Singleton didn't get put to death. He died of cancer in jail at age 74. So that was in 2001. So enough about that guy. Let's get back to Mary. She was able to get married and have two children, boys. She has two prosthetic arms. And she says, I didn't feel relief when he died, but I saw the relief in my son's eyes after it was over. It's God and my sons that keep me alive and loving life. I think the best thing that came out of this was that everyone was so mad about what happened to Mary that there was new legislation in California which prevents the early release of offenders who have committed a crime where torture is used. In 1987, Singleton's parole led to the passage of California's Singleton Bill, which carries a 25-to-life sentence. But with probably possibility of parole is still probably in there. Yeah, well, it's something. It's better than eight years for good behavior. That's crazy. It's hard to believe. So if you're still interested in hitchhiking after this, I looked up, there's a site... I think it's wiki hitchhiking with tips on how to do it in a safe way. I don't think I'm... You're not sold. No, I'm not sold. The number one thing, as we touch base on, is to trust your gut. The second thing is to always have your phone ready. And this is really good advice. 
text a friend as you get in the car with a license plate number of the car. Oh, that's such a good idea. Yeah, it's a good safety I precaution. I want to add a wiki number three, and that would be don't get in a brown van with an American flag hanging off of the back of it. <laughs> well, you survived. I feel like that's the opposite of the advice you should be giving. No, I don't think so. It was a bad idea. Do you do, even remember do anything about the driver? He seemed kind of regular. His, his van had like skis and bikes. So I was like, well, he's an outdoor enthusiast. He's probably fine. I think that's a good bet. I've hitchhiked in national parks and always felt safe. I can't believe you just said that out loud. <laughs> I'm the worst. Usually that's, you know, outdoor enthusiasts or families. No, I'm just saying you're probably being harshly judged by our parents right now. Oh, for saying well, they've that. been with me hitchhiking in the park, so oh, they so, can oh eat gosh, it. You're all going to be murdered together. Yeah, so this isn't like a go for it. Like, if you get murdered hitchhiking in a park, don't come back to me. <laughs> well, I don't think that's ever going to happen. Because they're not going to come back to you if they're murdered. That's true. Well, so many women... Um, or families might stop for a woman as well because of the perceived risk to women. So in some cases, hitchhiking is easier for women because people look out for them. Once well, women, again, women look up, probably a lot of women pick up women. That's exactly the yeah. first thing. Women are families. Mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I didn't miss yeah. that. Oh, and I guess the other things keep pepper spray on you. Mm-hmm. Taser, maybe a taser. Yeah. If you have access. And keep your bag at your feet just in case you have to leave in a hurry. Or just don't hitchhike. Just don't hitchhike. All right. Well, that's all I have for you. you have any more final words? No. My only final words are go back to Apple and uh, leave us a review and subscribe. Yeah. Thank you so much. It puts us out there. Yeah. And we will be talking to you next Monday. Okay. Stay alive until then. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs>